0: I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Welcome back to another Western Rookie Podcast episode. I'm your host, Brian Krebs, and today's episode is going to be a little bit different again. We are going to do a recap of September's Archery Colorado hunt. So... For those of you that have been listening, follow along with the Western Rookie Podcast over the course of the summer. You know our group was headed to elk hunt in the same unit that Stephen Walker, a previous podcast guest, actually two-time guest, has um, hunted quite a bit. He lives in that unit. And so we picked that unit this year to go to. There was eight of us on the trip, and um, we did meet up with Stephen. And we'll just go quickly through... How the elk hunt went So, like I said, eight of us were on the trip So it was myself, my brother Dean My brother Dean's daughter's boyfriend, Dakota Who, Dakota's been hunting with us for a few years now Um, Dean and I's good friend Josh From the lake that my brother and my dad live on And then Josh has... Four brothers, um, or three brothers, two of the brothers hunt with us, so Ben and Isaac. Um, ben has been a part of the elk hunting group since the the original trip. I was part of the group since the second trip. Um, Dean's been a part of the group since the original, so that's kind of the three OGs. Um, and then Isaac is relatively new. He's been going for maybe three or four years now, maybe five Um Jared, who is a friend of the Schaefer family, so that would be Josh, Ben, and Isaac, their Schaefer brothers. Um, Jared's a friend of them. He's been going for about the same time as Isaac, so four or five years. Yep. And then the newest two members, well, I guess Dakota's the newest because this was his first archery elk hunt. Um, but then Aaron, who is a cousin of the Schaefer brothers. Um, Aaron's done two years with our group. Um, everybody in the group's elk hunted multiple seasons. And so that's the group. Our truck, you know, I drove my truck. My brother brought his trailer and his ranger and a majority of the gear in the enclosed trailer. So we left, we decided to leave early because it is a long haul out to north or out to southwest Colorado from our house in Minnesota. And we're just doing the math. And we always like to arrive in the daylight. That way you can look at best places to camp. You can kind of see the terrain, the topography. You're setting up camp in the daylight. So we left early at 8 a.m. on Thursday. The, what would that have been? Let me pull up my calendar quick. We left Thursday, September 14th. Drove all day. We slept in Grand Junction. No, not Grand Junction. Where did we sleep? Slept somewhere in, in Colorado quick. Got up, we got to um, uh, the bar called True Grit, which is a pretty cool um, bar. But that's when the second truck met up with us. They drove straight through the night. They left after work on Thursday, drove straight through the night. We slept in a hotel. Um, We woke up, we met up about noon on Friday. We got to our spot at about 3 on Friday. Found a good camp spot, set up camp. About 80% set up camp, and then we went glassing and scouting Friday evening. And so camp consisted of two 12x20 Alaknak tents, and then our trailer we unload, and then we use that as the cook trailer. So we set up tables, we set up the flat iron, a stove, all that stuff. Most of our food was in the trailer. And so that's camp, pretty simple. Um, and then we went glassing, and we did not see any elk that night but I was able to get cell phone reception and I called Stephen Walker who lives um, not too far away from the unit and we talked to him a little bit and then he said hey I'll come out Saturday morning and hunt with y'all specifically said (laughs) y'all and um, so eight o'clock Stephen rolls into camp we didn't have the earliest start the first day just because we're you know still getting gear ready unpacking getting things lined up putting your packs together Stephen gets there at eight because he had a couple hour drive and so Stephen just brought us around on roads for the morning and showed us spots that we could hunt, check out um, lots of terrain and a lot of history that he's had hunting these units. And so he, um, he showed us around and then in the afternoon, he said, hey, if I was going to go anywhere and hunt, I would go in this spot. And so all nine of us dove off the road into this big, big area, get to the bottom And then we split up into three groups of three, which works out really well to have a caller and two shooters. And so each group went a different direction. You know, hey, you guys go north, you guys go south, we'll go east, and we'll hunt. And so we climbed up super steep terrain that first day. But we got into a pretty decent spot, actually, and um, started seeing some signs. So it was me and Steven and Ben, who Steven obviously knows the area. Ben has been a killer in our team. Um, shot multiple bulls with his bow. He's the only one that shot a first day bull too, which is pretty cool. And so we started seeing sign. We started slowing down and calling more. Um, that's typically how we like to hunt: is cover ground until we see fresh sign. And when we're saying fresh sign, that's you know elk sign that's less than a couple days old, preferably like today, this morning, hours ago. And then we slow up and we start calling So we were doing that We were taking breaks Slowly working our way um, You just horizontal across the mountainside And sure enough We did a couple cow calls Kind of just Hanging out We took maybe five steps And Stephen said hey I see a bull And so we all locked down. The bull was at like 150 yards, 125 yards, kind of working towards us. Clearly heard our elk calls and was coming our way. Um, it was pretty open in that spot, so the bull kind of saw us stop and freak out. He slowed down and stopped. He just stayed still for maybe five minutes. I got a glimpse of him during that time. Steven got a really good look at him, said he was a nice five-by-five. Five. And so... We were kind of, you know, we were kind of uh, ambushed. We were downstream without a paddle. We're all three, right, standing on top of each other. We can't move. Me and Ben got arrows knocked, but we can't call because, you know, he's going to window us. So we just ride it out, and for about five minutes or so, he just stares at us, and then he slowly works kind of uphill and a little bit away from us, like quartering away uphill. And so that was our cue. Um, to get in a better position so steven went straight backwards 30 yards I tried to climb uphill 10 yards to get better thermals because I figured he's probably going up and around to catch our thermals um, And sure enough by the time steven gets back 30 yards and starts cow calling We see the bull coming Back in he's probably 50 feet higher elevation than he was the first time and he came into 58 yards which was cl- getting really close I was getting really excited I thought he was going to keep walking that line And I was going to get a shot at probably 40 But he stopped at 58 yards And it was 58 yards At a significant uphill um, Elevation So it was probably more like a 70 yard shot uh, You know Flight distance And 58 for like what you would hold over And that's just a long shot I My limit was 60 um, So it was a long, long shot. He was broadside, but he was stopped behind a uh, a tree on his front half. So all I could see was his guts, his belly, and his rear end anyway. So I didn't have a shot. Um, but he stopped there for, like, another five minutes trying to figure out where we were coming from. And he, I believe he just windowed us. I believe he could see where we were set up and where the calls were coming from, and he didn't see an elk, and so they always hold up. He didn't come in any further. He started to work as way out back away from us so i told steve i gave steven the hand signal to back up further trying to get more separation between the shooters and the callers and do more calling which you know steven did and the bowl just didn't didn't come back didn't come back in we gave him probably 20 30 minutes and then we slowly moved up 50 yards because he didn't really he didn't bail out fast or hard like we didn't bust him he just lost interest and so we moved up 50 yards and tried to set up a calling sequence again and try to get him back in uh gave him another 20-30 minutes didn't work we moved up 50 more yards this whole time we're seeing phenomenal sign like a whole herd had been on that mountain that day and so we thought we were gonna you know slowly move up and start getting inside his bubble again and get him to come back in but he never did unfortunately so that was kind of a bummer um, just because, you know, we had an elk first day So close, thinking we could get this job done And, the you know, the cards just weren't in our favor And we kind of just ran out of daylight So we bombed off that side back into the river valley And then we had to cross the river and climb back out Now, the funny thing about crossing the river So, when we crossed it in, coming in, in the daylight It was pretty steep, or like a pretty deep river um, some places were a couple feet deep. Some places there's rocks and it was only like five inches deep. But there was a log that went across the river right over a waterfall. So the river drops maybe 15 feet. There's like a 15 foot waterfall. And there's two logs that go across it. And so that's where Steven and Ben and a lot of the guys decided to cross in the daylight. And I thought they were nuts. I'm like I'm not crossing that log. I mean it was like 10 feet 12 feet across so like you are there's no way to like grab one bank and the other bank at the same time and make sure you got like a steady point of contact like you are tight lining it with like no hands and so I went upstream and found like a five inch deep spot to cross and I just walked across the rocks which was pretty slippery but I stayed my feet stayed dry well coming back out in the night everyone's like I don't think I want to cross that log anymore you know dark you fall off like you wouldn't die you'd probably get a little banged up but you'd definitely get wet and you would have a hard time climbing out because you would have went over the waterfall into the pool on the bottom um and so i we all found the spot to cross well i forgot my headlamp so i'm digging through my pack, pack trying to find my backup headlamp can't find it finally get a spare everyone else just goes ahead and says oh i'll just cross where brian said he crossed so I'm the last one to get ready and, and to go cross. And so I see where they're crossing, not even close to where I crossed. I mean, it is deep where they went because they didn't, you know, wait for me to pull out my track. And just as I get to the river, I hear this splash, like, push. clearly somebody fell. So I get in there. Sure enough, someone slipped on a rock, just fell in the river. It was Ben, Um, pops back up, runs out. And I'm like, and so then I go across and whenever I cross a river like that, I always try to grab a stick and I usually use my bow as like two walking sticks to make sure like if you slip and stumble, you can kind of catch yourself before you go all the way in. But it was deep. I mean, that part was like, it went up over my boots and I just went fast enough, but my boot did get a little wet, but Ben's boots got completely filled with water. And so then we had this mile climb out of some pretty steep terrain and so we're taking breaks, and Ben's eventually just says, "Hey, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go ahead and and get out of here faster, because um, I want to get these boots off and drain them because there's there's like I can hear Ben's boots swishing with every step. That's how much water are in Ben's boots behind me. And so Ben takes off, Well, Steven is like a billy goat. He lives in the mountains. He's in great shape. And so you can kind of tell Steven wants to go faster than some of us flatlanders can go. And so we're like, Hey Steven, if you want to go with Ben, go for it. And so he runs like a hundred yards up the trail to catch Ben and then just continues walking with Ben. Doesn't even take a break, which is just hilarious. And then later Ben said, yeah, I was climbing up and I eventually needed a break, you know, and Ben's in one of the best shapes of anyone in the elk group. So Ben goes, yeah, eventually I needed a break, but (laughs) Steven didn't need a break. He just started talking when I stopped, which is kind of funny. So it, Definitely, we definitely noticed a huge difference between someone that lives in the mountains and climbs the mountains all the time, like Steven, versus someone that lives in the flatlands and has no mountains. We were sucking air hard. And so finally get back to the truck, probably 9 o'clock, a um, couple hours after, after sunset. And then the, the road that we were on is terrible. It's like an hour and a half of driving. On super slow terrible roads Until we hit the gate Where the road starts getting better And then it's like another 15-20 minutes Back to camp so it took forever to get back That night So everyone kind of decided we all hated that road And we didn't enjoy the climb Out but we did get into a little bit of elk Sign in there so We had mixed feelings on whether or not We wanted to go back Back to that spot but we talked about it at camp I fired up um, the flat stone This episode is brought to you by Steelhead Outdoors. Now, everyone knows that Steelhead Outdoors safes are the only American-made fire-insulated modular safes on the market. But you might not know that Steelhead Outdoors also carries a full line of handgun lockers, pistol boxes, and even custom vault doors. So whether you're looking for a locker to store your concealed carry when you walk in the front door, or a pistol box to mount underneath your nightstand, or even if you're looking to secure an entire doorway in your home and create a safe room, Steelhead Outdoors has a solution for you. You can tell the guys over at Steelhead are gun owners because they have the gun owner in mind when they design their products. Their handgun lockers are just the right size to store modern-day handguns with lasers, optics, double-stack magazines, and even a backup gun. While their pistol boxes are the perfect size to mount underneath your bed, your nightstand, or even in your vehicle. And when it comes to a custom vault door, they have designed a panic lock and emergency release so you can easily lock and unlock your vault door completely from the inside, meaning you are always safe but never trapped inside. Go to steelheadoutdoors.com to check out all of their security options and pick the right one for you. And made uh, pulled pork barbecue sandwiches because that was Steven's favorite from from shed season back in New Mexico this spring when we went with him and I told him if he comes and if he comes and hunts with us, I'll cook him some more barbecue. So everyone had that, everyone liked it. Steven takes off. And then the group says, well, let's let's find some different areas for tomorrow just because that climb takes a lot to get back in there. And we were thinking that would be a good spot to spike camp because it's been on our list to spike camp every single archery elk trip we've ever gone on, and we've never done it. And this was the year we said we were going to spike camp. So we are like, well, if we ever go up that long road again and we're going to go through all the work to get in there, we might as well just sleep there because there's a great valley next to the river to sleep in. And so we said, let's, let's check out a cute few other spots. And if we get later in the week and we don't have anything better going on, we'll just go back into that area and spike. And so then for the next couple of days, we started checking out different spots. Um, uh, me and my brother in Dakota hunted the next day, and we just started checking out some short spots near camp. Um, Did not find a ton of elk sign on some of these, like, half-day hunt spots. Some fresh sign, you know, like some elk had been through here, but nothing like a herd was living here. And so we were just spot-hopping all morning long. In the evening, we went and checked out a completely different area by truck, and then we went in there a couple miles. Um, lots of openings that you could grasp but we just didn't see a lot of fresh elks on there. Um, The rest of the guys kind of got into a little bit of bugling for the next few days but didn't have any great encounters, didn't see a ton of sign, and so we're trying to, like, bounce around, find all these different spots. And then I'd say maybe midweek, we found a way that we could hunt. We could take a road up and hunt all the way down, and then when we got out, we would just meet up with a drop Ranger we would drop the ranger at the bottom of the mountain And that way everyone can hunt Like downhill so it's obviously A lot easier to hunt downhill And so I met up with Or I hunted with Isaac that day so it was Dean Dakota me and Isaac all went Into the spot and then we split Into two teams of two and we took Two different ridges down And so Isaac and I Got to the head of our ridge And we still had bad thermals so we're kind of going slow We're waiting for the thermals to change we start getting into where we really wanted to hunt and a thunderstorm is coming fast the wind's picking up you can see the mountains you can see the clouds rolling over the mountains like we are about to get hit with thunderstorm and this entire week i don't i haven't packed rain gear it has been raining almost every evening for a short bit like mountain rains like 30 minute showers and so i've just been hiding under a tree um for these showers trying to stay dry because my rain gear is heavy, it's old, it doesn't fit great and it doesn't work great. And so I'm just like, "Hey, I'm not going to carry this rain gear. I'd rather just get wet." Well, this thunderstorm looks bad. And so I, instead, I've been packing it's an Alps mountaineering or engineering, I can't remember what their name is. It's an Alps rainfly, fly. And so it's one of those rain flies where you have um six different stakes or like six different ropes and so I'm like, hey, Isaac, you know, Isaac's putting on his rain gear, and I don't have rain gear, so I'm like, hey, I don't have rain gear. I'm going to set up this rain fly instead, but it's plenty big enough for both of us, and if it works, we'll both stay perfectly dry. And so he's like, oh, that sounds great. So he helps me set it up, but I've never done it before, so we're kind of just going fast. It's starting to rain. Crawl underneath it, and it's working, so if we just kind of tweak some stuff higher or lower. So this is a good example of, like, testing out stuff like this before you go because I, I just looked at the picture and was like yeah that doesn't look hard to do and it wasn't hard but you just learn a couple things setting it up the first time but but after a couple tweaks we got it set up so it worked great Isaac and I just took a nap under it for two hours and stayed 100% dry and it's half the weight of my rain gear so I was like oh that works perfect I'm gonna for sure not bring my rain gear anymore you know I had it at camp but I just didn't want to pack it because it's so bulky and heavy And so we roll all that up. We walk a couple hundred yards. We had this old logging road. So it was like nice, easy, flat walking across the side of a ridge. And we finally cut some fresh tracks that looked like a bull. It looked like a raghorn or a satellite bull. It was a mature elk. It was a single set of tracks. It was coming from over the ridge downwards. So we said, hey, let's call. So we set up a calling sequence. Sure enough, we hear a bull bugle back almost exactly where we rode out the thunderstorm. And so we start moving towards the bull. We set up. We probably do a half-hour sequence, nothing. We get him to bugle like two, three times throughout that half-hour sequence, but he doesn't move. And it's midday. It's like noon, 1 o'clock, probably bugling from his bed. So we move up another 50 yards, do a couple calling sequence, and then we just sit for like an hour hoping as time goes on, he'll get out of his bed. He'll be curious what he heard, and he'll work towards us. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. We did not hear any more out of him. Um, we tried to get him to bugle again before we left. Couldn't get him to bugle. And so then we just started working back to the original plan, working kind of down the ridge, going from side to side, checking it out, throwing out some bugles. And so we have get, I don't know, a ways down the, the ridge we throw out a bugle and instantly Isaac gets a response and it's like a it's close, it's like two hundred yards away. It sounds deep and raspy. It sounds angry. It really does sound like we got inside a bull's comfort zone and he was giving us that that like heads up like do not come over here. I have a herd over here, I'm angry, you know, he's being territorial. And so we're like, Oh, perfect. Let's work in fifty yards, let's do a setup. Let's see if we can get this bull to sound off again. So we work in that 50, 60 yards. I get out front. Isaac's calling. He does a sequence, and a bugle cuts him off, but it's like 400 yards away now. And I'm like, gosh, darn, like this bull just must have took off as soon as he heard us bugle, and now he's 400 yards away. And so I'm like, hey, Isaac, we got to keep moving. Like this bull is moving away from us, so we got to go with him. And so we're like, okay, good. We start going downhill, and sure enough, we look up. About the same time, Isaac and I both see an elk at 90 yards. And we had only come like 30 more yards. Well, sure enough, it's a bull. It's a good bull. It's a five-by-five. And so we lock up. Isaac sneaks back uphill. We kind of call. That bull doesn't like what he's like, he thinks he saw some movement. So he kind of moves off, kind of, you know, away from us, going horizontal. And so I sneak up with him thinking, oh, what if the same thing happens? He could be coming up and around to get our thermals. And so I work that way. Isaac starts doing some more calling. We hear the other bull bugling on, you know, the 400-yard-away bull bugling still. And so now it's clear, like, we heard two different bulls, and we assumed it was one when we should have stayed put and played out the first one. And so I see some movement. Getting closer in the woods But then it cuts back underneath me And goes back the other way And so then I turn around and kind of work 20 yards That way turns out it was a Herd at 60 So now I'm trying to sneak into this herd at 60 But I got this big opening Beneath me that I got I can't Cross because they'll see me And so The bull and two or three cows Were working kind of at that 60 yard range and nothing we could do Could pull them in any closer I think they were starting to get a little suspicious by this point because, you know, we walked in accidentally too close to this herd. They kind of saw movement they didn't like. And after that, it was just hard to get them to play and to work. And so, unfortunately, I didn't see them any closer than 60. I never had a clear shot at the bull. All we had was a bull tag. I couldn't have shot a cow anyway. Um, And I didn't even have a good shot at a cow. And so that was super frustrating because we, you know, Isaac and I were talking the whole time, like, let's not be too aggressive, because that's what screwed us up. You know, both of us had got screwed up already in this trip by being too aggressive and and not being patient. And so we thought we were gonna be patient, and then the whole two bowls got us all messed up. We thought it was one, so we started going after the four hundred yard bowl. Sure enough, the two hundred yard bowl busted us. And so that was just a lesson to be patient and always consider there could be two bulls. Like it, it's, sometimes it's easy when there's lots of bugling and you're just used to multiple bulls, but we were not hearing a lot of bugling this week. And so we are like, oh, hey, a bugle, great, 200 yards away. Oh, he just bugled again at 400. We We're just assuming it's the same bull because these bugles have been so hard to come by. And so that was a real bummer. Um, so Isaac and I kind of walked out trying to go after the 400-yard bull again because the 200-yard bull wasn't playing anymore. And we just couldn't get this bull to talk anymore. I mean, we went in two, 300 yards. We tried to get him to sound off, and he was just quiet at this point. So it really frustrating that he was vocal and we didn't want him to be vocal. And then as soon as we decided to chase him, then all of a sudden he just quiets up and doesn't do anything. So we hunted out the rest of that the rest of that walk. Pretty uneventful. We saw a couple meal deer really close. We got into some really um gnarly river bottom, creek bottom stuff that we're trying to get out of. And anytime you're trying to leave, the creek bottoms usually look less steep than everything else, and so you're like, oh let's just follow the creek out. But it was a disaster. It was like, the last 10, like, it was just so steep in there that I think it, like, yeah, the creek valley isn't that steep, but the sidewalls are pretty aggressive and gnarly because they're carved out, and it's just too small for the map to see, but it was, it was becoming pretty evident that, like, this is going to suck, and it's going to suck for a long time, so we just decided, hey, let's just climb a little bit of elevation, even though we, we don't want to go up because we're trying to get back to the truck, but... Let's just climb and we'll walk faster. So we sure enough we climb out and we start going a lot faster. And then I found a bugle tube. I found a Phelps game call Bugle Tube just on the ground. So I obviously that was pretty cool. Picked that up. It was signed. If anyone's listening to this and lost a Phelps Bugle tube, it was signed like 2020, four by four at 60 yards, 2021. Um you know, four by five at 40 yards. So it looked like it was a pretty successful bugle tube. Um, that's where the signing stops. I don't know if it's been sitting there for two years or if 2022 just didn't have any action for whoever owned that bugle tube, but I bought, I kept it. Um, Dakota used it for the rest of the week, but I still have it. So if you lost a bugle tube in Southwest Colorado, Phelps game call, tell me what bowls you shot in 2020 and 2021, um, and we'll get you your bugle tube back. So Isaac and I follow that out. We finally get back to the truck. We go back to camp. No one's at camp. And we have about an hour of daylight left. And so we say, hey, let's go glass. And so we get out in the truck, drive up to the same kind of glassing area we were at the first day. And we also get good cell phone reception there. So Isaac calls back home because his son had broke his thumb in football. And Isaac is in. He's in the medical field. I think he has exercise physiology degrees. He does like therapy for for his day job, so he's very knowledgeable about like hand and arm breaks because he's an upper extremities, um, I don't know provider. Whatever he does, he does upper extremities, and so he's calling back home, checking his son's thumb, um, hearing what the update is from his wife. I'm glassing. Sure enough, I find a herd of elk in one of the spots Stephen gave us, just feeding through an opening. And it's a big herd, like 12 cows plus a bull. And so I pull out the all-in phone adapter. So if you don't know, the all-in adapter, one of the best digiscoping adapters on the market. You put... Um, an eyepiece on your optic that's got magnets in it that stays on all the time it's super soft it's super ergonomic so you can still look through your spotter or, or your binos with the eyepiece on but then when it comes time to to film something you just take the all-in phone case touch it to your eyepiece the magnets line it up perfectly they keep it square you don't bump your optic off what you're um, chasing and that's a great great adapter you can actually use the code Western rookie one word actually know what is it two bucks I can't remember what the code is I think it's two bucks for the other podcast but you can get ten percent off on an all in adapter system Um, and we always put the code in the show notes so if you're interested in that go check out the links the the whatever I think it's two bucks is the code but I will verify that and put it in the show notes of every episode. And so they're right there. You can get 10% off on an all-in adapter system. But I got some video footage of it because obviously all the other six guys are going to want to see these elk, see where they are, see how we can hunt them. And so the next day we make a plan to go in that area. So four of us are going to go into that area. The other guys are going to go back to where – Dean, Isaac, Dakota, and I hunted excuse me, sorry, the first day and or the that day of where because we both heard elk bugling. So day two, it's Ben, Aaron, Jared, and I are going into where we glass the elk. So we get in, we split up, Ben and Aaron go one way, Jared and I go another way, we start hunting. Um, and Jared and I, we get up, we wait for the thermals to change. We start hunting through and we start seeing some good sign, like fresh sign. Um, there's definitely elk using this area over the course of the summer, but also recently we're starting to get into recent sign. We get to a spot where it just stinks of elk. And so we hold up there. Um, we ride out a little bit of rain in that spot and then, you know, like man should we keep going should we stay like there's fresh elk sign like this morning it smells like elk here but we're like right off the main trail and so we're like ah we did some calling sequences nothing fired up so we moved um up a little bit did another calling sequence it rained again so we hit under a tree Um, we kept hunting through all these different areas and everywhere we're going, we're seeing fresh elk sign. Like there are definitely elk on this mountain, but we're not hearing anything. So we, we hit up some openings and some valleys don't hear any elk sign. We can't get a, we can't even buy a bugle. Um, but we're seeing elk sign. And so eventually I'm like, well, we don't have anything else going and it's starting to become that like last hour. So I said, let's drop down because right below us is that exact opening the herd fed through the night before. So let's just sit up on that opening and see if they come through again. So we get into that spot. It looks great. We sit there for probably the rest of our daylight and just nothing. Like we don't hear anything. We can't see anything. We have no bugles. And so we're like, well, it's just unfortunately wasn't our time. Let's Just start heading back to the truck. You know, we got 10 minutes of light left. Maybe we can check a couple more of these openings on the way back. So we start heading back to the truck, and all of a sudden Jared points. And so I look, and the biggest mule deer I have ever seen in the wild is just bounding away across this opening. I mean, this thing is a tank. I am not a professional mule deer scorer. I am very good at scoring whitetails, but this mule deer... It was tall, it was wide, it had deep forks, it had junk, I mean, it had everything. I really believe this was like a 170 class mule deer, which I think is huge. I know a lot of people shoot bigger mule deer than that, but it was a large mule deer. Um, Other than that, we get back to the truck. We, We did see two mule deer across the trail in the headlamps, two bucks that weren't, More like 120-inch bucks, like, cool bucks to see, but not as big as that first one. But we get back to the truck, and about the same time, Aaron and Ben are back, which was kind of surprising because they said they were going to go a lot farther. Well, we start talking to them, and apparently they got into elk sign almost immediately, and it it was so heavy. Ben said it was the best elk sign he's ever seen in a spot while elk hunting, and we've elk hunted a lot of places. And so they just sat up for four hours in one of these little openings or one of the woods where they had some shots and just sat there because there was such good elk sign. They thought, like, there could easily be elk just milling through this area during the daytime. And so they spent most of their time not moving very much, which is kind of what you want when you're archery elk hunting. Like, if you're doing 10, 15 miles a day, that just kind of tells me you're not in the elk. Um, Because when we get into heavy elk, we slow down, we stay put, we call... And you only do, like, four or five miles. And most of that's, like, two miles in, two miles out. So they held up. They didn't have anything midday, but then they started working for the evening, kind of that area and doing some calling. And they heard some bugles from their their spot that they were held up at. So Aaron was like, hey, I hear that bugle. Do you hear that? Well, Ben has ringing in his ears, so he doesn't hear as good and she's like, no, I think that's a bird. And this goes on like three, four times as the story goes. And Aaron's finally like, no, that's definitely an elk. And then it bugles one more time. And Ben's like, oh, yeah, that's an elk. And so they take off to chase these bugles. They get into the herd. And they set up Ben's caller, Aaron's shooter. They start calling. Bulls are working. They're calling. They're seeing them. One comes in. There's There's at least two but potentially three bulls that were bugling. And it was a long process, like 45-minute sequence of, like, a calling setup. But it ended with the one of the bulls, the smaller of the bulls, came into 23 yards for Aaron, and Aaron draws as the bulls, like, stepping into his opening. And as Aaron was drawing, he, was, he, um, he says part of his shot process is he drops his, his pins down to his target, just like, you know, a lot of target archers do. But he said, as I was dropping, I remember my 40-yard pin hit the back line of the elk. Like, just came down to touch the elk. But the elk like saw me and, like, startled and jumped. Kind of like, just kind of like, oh, you know, in place. Didn't take off. Just jumped. But that, like, startled Aaron. And Aaron jumped and accidentally punched his trigger. And so his arrow went flying over the top of the elk. It never touched it. And then he's like, oh, and, but Ben hears the bow go off. And so Ben looks at the at Aaron, like, peeks his head over the hill, and Aaron's just doing this, like, defeated, like, bend over. And Ben's thinking, like, oh, is he, like, happy? Like, he is just, like, this wave of pressures off that he shot his first elk with a bow or, like, what's going on? Well, then Ben, it, Aaron starts doing the head shake, like, didn't work out. And so Ben realizes, oh, it's not over yet. Well, the bull, when Aaron shot, like, took off a little bit to, like, 40 and then turned to look at what happened. And so Ben's, like, starts calling again. Aaron's, like, hey, there might be a chance. So he grabs another arrow and knocks it, looks down. He accidentally grabbed his grouse arrow. So it has the small game field point on it or the small game broadhead. And so now he's, like, shit rips that arrow out, trying not to, you know, get busted by movement, finally grabs, he just throws that one on the ground, finally grabs another elk arrow. By this point, that bull's kind of working off. But the bigger bull is coming up from another direction. Well, while all of this is going on, Ben is trying to make, like, this full-on display of elk calling. So he's raking and stomping. He's moving back down the trail because he's, he's below a little rise, so the elk can't see him because he's, you know, they're up on the flat. He's doing all this stuff. He's running around, stomping, breaking branches, calling. All of a sudden, he looks over, and the big bull is standing at 60 yards just staring at him. <laughs> just, like... Watching this lunatic, this elk's probably thinking, like, what kind of weirdos just running around doing all this? And so obviously Ben freezes, and the elk just slowly turns and walks away. And Ben said, to make it worse, he just kind of looked back as he was walking away and just like shook his head, like, "You thought you were gonna fool me with that?" <laughs> and so it was. A, it sounds like it was a crazy encounter. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out. Those are the kind of memories that will haunt all of us. Um, Everybody but Dakota has been there. Everybody but Dakota has shot an arrow at an elk and not got the elk. Um, A lot of times it's a clean miss for whatever reason. Um, I hit a twig one time at like two feet that I couldn't see out of my sight housing, and my arrow went 40 feet over this elk's back. Um, My brother had one happen. Everyone in our groups missed an elk or had one within shooting and didn't get a shot. So that's just part of elk hunting. Uh, We all feel for Aaron. We gave it an appropriate amount of time in camp before we started uh, joking with him about it, but uh, he took it pretty good and then, you know, just wanted to get back out there and get another chance. And so based on all of the sign that Jared and I had saw that day, plus the encounter Ben and Aaron had, The group made the decision, like, hey, let's all go into this area. Let's bring our backpack equipment because we only have two days left or three days left. Let's bring our backpacking equipment. Let's spike out in there just so we stay closer. And then, you know, we check off two lists. We're hunting the best spot, plus we're doing the spike camp, which we always wanted to do. And so everyone loads up their spike camp gear. We all go to this area. Um, Now that we know there's elk there, we decided to change from hunting in groups of two, which is really good for, like, spreading out, checking out more areas and finding sign. But now we're going to hunt in groups of four just to make, like, better chances that we get a shooter and an elk close enough to ch- that they get a shot, right? So one caller, three shooters instead of one and one. So we have six shooters instead of four shooters, basically, um, is the goal because we know there's elk sign here. So we hunt all day, Um, lots of grouse that day. I hunted with Aaron, um, Dakota, and Dean, so talked a lot about the encounter and stuff like that, and it was kind of fun just to hunt with somebody new because Aaron and I don't really know each other. We've never hunted together before this trip. Um, Saw some fresh elk sign. We saw a lot of tracks out in these openings from probably overnight um, activity, but we uh, didn't see a ton. We heard a bugle. Um, We were eating lunch, we heard a bugle, decided to go after it, kind of worked in. Um, The bugle started getting farther and farther away, so that was kind of confusing. We thought we heard some cow calls, but we just couldn't get that bull to talk. And then, so we were torn, like, is it two bulls or is it one bull? If it's two bulls, we should stay here and work because we're only 120 yards away from where he started bugling. If it's one bull, like, we're out of the picture completely because that bull's 400 yards away. Going downhill, we'll never catch that herd. So we decided to play it as if it was two bulls and stay put, and just nothing ever came out of that situation. Um, so we went back to hunting, found some different areas, saw a lot of bear sign, which is kind of cool, like some big bear sign. But we never got into any elk bugling, and so the, it's starting to get later in the evening, and we start calling and we hear a bugle, and so that was like, "Oh, let's play this." And so we set up, and it just doesn't sound right. Like it's, it's not moving. The calls are kind of different. Like there's just a feeling that it's Ben. Like we we all just kind of thought it sounded like Ben's calling, like the the where the location was. So we go back and forth, like, "Nah, that's Ben." Let's keep moving. But then it sounded real again. So we come back, and that nah, sounds like a hunter again. So we leave, and then we come back. Well, eventually we we decide to commit and say, it's probably Ben, let's go find him. And so we call them in. Sure enough, it's their group of four. It was Ben, but we start talking about where, we, and where and when we were hearing sign. And it does sound like there was a real bull at some point that we were both chasing. And so that was kind of a bummer. People are kind of frustrated that we called each other in, which just happens when we're all hunting like one mountainside. And so we all meet up. Uh, three of the guys decide they're going to go, three or four of the guys decide they're going to go set up spike camp. The rest of us were going to go filter water quick for spike camp. And so I went with the water filters since I had the new MSR um, water filter. And so we go drop down. I think we filtered like 12 liters of water for the group, um, kind of like combined all of our water and then emptied, like I emptied all my water into other people so I could fill them up full again. And so we go get water. We meet up with them. They've got most of the tents set up for spike camp. Um, Josh is working on a fire. I set up my tent pretty quick. Everyone's kind of doing their own chores. Somebody who that we brought two of uh, two jet boils. And so the people that own the jet boils are setting up that for dinner. And it was great. Josh's fire took off. Um, I just put one of my Vaseline. soaked cotton balls in the fire to help them start it. Had a great bonfire. Um, on spike camp and then it was like the perfect weather for spiking out because it was like 60 degrees during the day and like 38 to 40 degrees at night and so everyone kind of was kind of a fun thing like we were all thinking it would suck more like it'd be colder because we were getting frost and stuff but it really wasn't that bad I mean very comfortable it's kind of sucked carrying around the weight all day because we basically hunted backpack style we didn't Drop spike camp and then hunt We just hunted because we didn't know where we were going to end up camping And so we just Hunted with our gear all day and that kind of sucked But overall Spike camp was super fun and so We um We The next morning we had breakfast I did um pre-cooked Bacon I was eating a lot of like pre-cooked Bacon because it didn't have to be refrigerated A lot of individually wrapped cheese Sticks a lot of granola And so I had Sandwiches the first day, you know, because we made sandwiches that morning at at base camp But then the second day I didn't have a sandwich made I just ate bacon and cheese sticks for breakfast. I ate a thousand calories of granola for lunch or trail mix for lunch um And then we had obviously supper back at base camp again Second day we hunted around Um, me and ben decided to climb up to 11,000 feet just for fun because we were typically hunting between nine five and ten five and so, um, excuse me, one second. Sorry about that. I had a sneeze. Um, um, just for fun, just to say we did it, and it was, you know, it was it kind of was tough. I mean, climbing up there, some steep stuff, but we got up to eleven thousand feet. Took a quick break, had a snack, and then we started hunting down. I saw some of the freshest elk sign I have ever seen in my life. I mean, this stuff. If I would have got there any earlier I would have seen it fall I mean it was green It was fresh um, I tried to convince Ben to touch it To see how warm it was But it was it was um, pretty loose So he did not do that It wasn't a pellet um, But it definitely there was elk here Like recently, within an hour And so we did a calling set up Kind of started slow, like still hunting With arrows knocked And never came across anything And so we kind of abandoned that and we're just kind of walking around checking out this new area up high at like 11,000 10 foot nine and so we um found this like cool like gold mining thing where it, it had to have been like a gold mining exploration hole and we're talking about it like whispering about it stand there for like two minutes I take one step and there was a cow elk bedded on the other side of it at 40 yards that busted and so we're like oh crazy like we sat there for two minutes talking and all of a sudden there's just an elk bedded there so we were kind of thinking like that might have been the elk we saw the sign for because it wasn't a lot of sign it was just kind of like one elk and that cow was alone and so that was kind of the activity of the morning then Ben and I met back up with Dean and Dakota uh, we kind of hunted through just some different options and areas Um eventually we were kind of headed towards where we had the area that ben and saw all the sign the first time we hunted this spot so that would have been like two days ago and on our way there we hear dean throws out a bugle and we get a response immediately from like a 100 yards away so fast like it could not possibly have been a hunter unless the hunter was also about to bugle because it was like one bugle and then immediately the second bugle. And so we are like, oh, shit, and it's right below us. Like, our thermals are bad, our wind is bad, so we we're like, hey, we need to put some, we need to generate some distance so we can get our wind right. And so Ben takes off down the road, and our thought was we're going to go down the road, like over to get distance, and then we're going to drop down to make our thermals right and then work our way back in. Well, Dean thought we were just going to go a little ways, and then Ben kind of went a long ways, And so we're all kind of confused because we're too far away. But when we start the setup, we start hearing cow calls. And so we start working, but it's super open. So we can't, I'm like, we can't, we can see 200 yards. So we're like kind of screwed. Like we need our caller to be way back in case an elk does come to us because it's going to see us way before we we see them or hear them. Like it's very open. 200 yards is like the window size here. And so, but the cow calls are getting louder. And so, we're working, we're thinking, like, this herd's coming to us. Like, this is the direction they always, they have been feeding. That's the direction I glassed them. Um, Dean thought they might be going above us, though. So, he's like, well, what if, you know, we should be up there. And, but we're hearing them down here. And so, long story short, we were hearing the other group working the same bull. And so we got distracted with the cow calls from the other group, thinking the herd was coming to us. The cows are out front, the bulls behind them, which they kind of were, but it was the other group. And apparently the bull did, in fact, go up. So Dean's thought was, or Dean's worry that they're going to go above us into a different opening was kind of correct. And it was just super frustrating because, you know, both teams probably could have made a pretty good play on that bull or that herd, whatever it was but we got distracted with each other because we our teams were calling more than the elk were and so both teams were like oh hey they're over here cuz that's where i'm hearing all these calls come from and so we worked in towards each other and the bull went out the side which is just super frustrating and so everyone was kind of in you know negative moods i would say because we just wasted two evenings in a row hunting the other group which is always frustrating and so we kind of gear up. We all bomb out, hit the trail, hit, bring the trail back to the trucks, bring the trucks back to camp. And uh, at this point, you know, we had one more day left. Um, we'd hunted hard for seven straight days, not on a lot of sign. We just basically burnt out our best spot because we hunted it three days in a row. And, um, and so we start talking about logistics. And so the, the problem was everyone has to be back at work Monday morning. Some people could take a day. Some people really needed to be back at work. And so we're looking at it. And, like, if we hunt Friday, we're probably not going to We've never had success in the morning. Our group has always shot our bulls in the evening. For whatever reason, it's just our hunting style. So it's like if we shoot a bull Friday evening, that is going to take up, like, all day friday obviously but then like we're not going to get that bowl off the mountain until like lunch on saturday then we have to break down camp that's like a couple hours and then leave you know we're going to basically leave saturday night and then we're put in a position where we're going to have to drive straight through to get to work by monday morning because it's such a long commute with the trailer going over the mountains and everyone's like i don't know if I want to do that I don't know if I want to drive straight through to get to work and then be like go to straight to work Um we're not you know everyone kind of talked pros and cons and it came out like a lot of people were feeling like they had a great hunt we had fun we had success you know it wasn't um, the point of the hunt's not to punch tags it's to be out there and we did that we spiked out we got into elk but we don't really have any more good spots. Um, We're kind of out of leads. We're out of sign. We're not having, like, super high call rates. Like, we're not getting into lots of opportunities each day. So we just kind of did a a, a trade-off analysis and decided, you know, because most of us are engineers, just decided it's not – the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Like, we could hunt one more day and we can um, try – sorry about that, somebody tried to call me, um, we could try to hunt one more day, but all that's really going to do is like push us into a situation where we're going to have to drive all night long to get home, and, and nobody wanted to do that, so instead, we decided to have a mountain party, Jared is a phenomenal musician, he has a band, he has does covers, um, he, and he brought his guitar, and so we decided we're going to have a... a <laughs> a music festival on the side of the mountain. Josh made the biggest bonfire I've ever seen in my life. Um, He put, he started it out with probably a 50 foot stump log, like a chunk of wood that was cut. That was probably two and a half feet wide, like a two and a half by two and a half foot piece of wood. And then he got six foot like dead wood um, and made like a six foot teepee. And that's what we started the bonfire with. Um, and Jared brought out his guitar and we were singing songs and just having a good time on the side of the mountain Had a couple drinks um, Burnt out all of our firewood, went to bed at about 3 in the morning um, And then woke up and started packing up camp and hitting the road And it turns out it was probably a pretty good idea Because as early as we left, I personally didn't get home until 10pm Sunday night um, So if we would have left any later, like I would have gotten home at 8am Monday morning and um, if we would have hunted that next day, I would have got home at 8 a.m. Monday morning and had to go straight to work. And that's not shooting a bull and having to pack it out on Saturday. So, turns out it was a really good decision to to head out a little bit early. But but that was the trip. Um, we talked. I don't know. I think I think we're gonna try to find a different unit for Colorado. We just didn't see the sign and the elk that we were hoping for. I mean, we saw lots of sign and some pockets, but we just weren't getting the encounters and the calling that we were hoping for. Um, and so we're going to keep our eyes open for a different over-the-counter opportunity in the future. Next year, I believe, we will be going back to Montana because we should have points there, and we've got a couple spots that we've had success there in the past, and so we'll, we'll do that. And then after that will be Wyoming, which is our favorite spot. Um, but, yeah, just not sure if that's the unit for us. As far as gear goes, super happy with my food system. The pre-cooked bacon that you can get from, like, Hormel worked phenomenally well. I packaged them individually in um, vacuum-sealed bags. So I had, I think, 12 slices a day pre-packaged. That's, like, four to 500 calories of that. The cheese sticks worked phenomenally well. I didn't have them refrigerated the entire time. Neither the bacon nor the cheese sticks, and they both stayed fresh and tasted great. Great snacks. Um, trail mix was great. The rain fly was great. I do want to get, obviously, some sick uh, um, rain gear, some lightweight throw-over-the-top rain gear. But the Rainfly did work really good. All of my backpacking stuff, my tent, my air pad, my pillow, my bag, all of it worked phenomenally well. I stayed plenty warm with the setup I had and I was, I think I went to a t-shirt or just my hunting pants and my like heavyweight tee. Um, and I stayed warm. I had with me like puffy stuff that I could have put on over the top, um, to, to stay warmer yet. And I didn't even need it. So all that gear worked out really, really good. Um, the only thing that I had for gear that, I need to update as some of my pants are starting to get really worn out after six, seven years now of using them. They got holes, so I'm going to need to update a couple pieces of pants, and my gaiters are definitely on their last legs. But they still worked. They still kept my pants dry with all the wet grass, but um, I think I'm going to need to upgrade my gaiters before next season. But that's it. That's the the annual archery elk hunt. Hopefully, you know, in the future we get into more calls, get some bulls on the ground. Um, Typically every year we do actually at least get one in the group. And so this was kind of a bummer year in that respect. But it's always fun to check out new spots. It's always fun to try new things. So, like, the spike camp worked out really well. I think we're going to probably be doing more of that in the future. And so some of that stuff went pretty well. And with that, I hope you all are getting into your own versions of some elk success and um, western hunting this fall. You know, i got a long season ahead of us, and I'm excited to keep rolling with new episodes and start talking to some guests about their recent hunts as well as their overall western hunting story. So stay tuned for future episodes. I appreciate your time today just listening to the breakdown of how our hunt went and if you've got if you've got a fun story, feel free to send us an email. My email is always in the show notes. Brian at WesternRookie.com. If you've got a fun elk hunting story or a mule deer hunting story, anything out west, shoot me an email, give me the highlights, maybe we'll even have you on the podcast as a as a guest for the Western Rookie show. So feel free to email me any questions, any stories, and we will see um see what the schedules look like and get some cool stuff going. Otherwise, I might just give you a shout-out if you've got, like, a great picture, and we might share it on our social media. So thank you for listening, folks, and have a great fall.